Welcome to the Fortinet Cyber Resilience and Financial Services Podcast. This is the third in our series of podcasts talking about strategies for enhancing the resilience of financial institutions. Our focus is on the upcoming European Union Digital Operation Resilience Act, which is better known and a lot easier said as DORA. I'm Joe Robertson, your host for this series. I'm the Fortinet Chief Information Security Officer for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Now, the DORA regulations will probably be going into effect late in 2022, early in 2023, something like that. That's why we created this podcast series, to help you prepare. In this episode, we're going to talk about how DORA encourages financial organizations to share threat intelligence and the kinds of intelligence that they should be sharing and what you can do to protect your organization. Now, to discuss this subject, I am first going to welcome back to the podcast, Ricardo Ferreira. Ricardo is a colleague of mine in the Fortinet office of the CISO and has been an integral part of each of the first two episodes in this series. Welcome back, Ricardo. Thank you, Joe. And to give us deep insight into threat intelligence, I'd like to introduce Jonas Walker. Jonas is a security strategist at FortiGuard Labs. FortiGuard Labs is the threat research arm of Fortinet. Jonas, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Today's subject being threat intelligence, perhaps, Jonas, you could start us off by describing what threat intelligence means, how it's gathered, and where FortiGuard Labs fits in all of this. Sure. So threat intelligence is evidence-based knowledge about existing or upcoming threats towards our assets. So while this sounds pretty fancy, it's all about collecting, processing, and analyzing data so we can better understand how threat actors motivate themselves, how they choose their targets, and we have a better idea about their behaviors when it comes to their attacks. This pretty much enables us to make better decisions which are more efficient and more effective when it comes to protecting our assets and environments across the whole attack surface. Very often, speed is key because when we look at the threat actors out there, they change their attacks quite frequently. And if we don't adopt quick enough on the defensive side, it's really hard to win this battle. At FortiGuard Labs, which is the research arm at Fortinet, we have millions of sensors all across the world not only in a specific region, but very well distributed across APAC, EMEA, and Americas. But also, thanks to all the sensors we have out there, we gather additional intelligence from open source platforms, from these underground markets, like the darknet environments. We actively share with other industry partners in the Cyber Threat Alliance or NATO and law enforcement agencies like Interpol. And overall, we gather more than 100 billion events every single day. So there's a lot of data which we need to process. And this helps us pretty much to understand what is happening in cyberspace. At FortiGuard Labs, we follow the sun, which means we have multiple research departments all across the world because cybercrime never sleeps. So no matter what time of the day, we have researchers all around the world working actively on the newest threats which are happening in on the internet. 
So Jonas, you've got over 100 billion events that you're dealing with every day. Uh, you must have at 40 Guard Labs a, a huge data lake. Are you using artificial intelligence and things like that to, to make sense of all of that? Yeah, definitely. All this data, it's not possible just to use analysts to understand what is exactly happening in detail. But 40Guard Labs has been investing in machine learning technologies for the last 10 years. And the last time I was in Vancouver, Burnaby, in one of our headquarters, I have seen plenty of servers and racks full of very strong computers which are performing these machine learning algorithms to really look at these patterns. Because when we look at new attacks, very often they rely on certain patterns which we have seen before. And we are training our, our systems to understand what is normal and what is most likely to be, for example, a new potential attack. And thanks to these technologies, we are very quickly capable of implementing new security layers, which are then spread across the, our whole security fabric to stop upcoming cyber threats. Well, that's really impressive. Uh, it really is uh, uh, quite uh, an amazing uh, laboratory that uh, you folks have there. And, you know, of course, you need that sort of thing because there are so many attackers out there, and we've got to try to stay ahead of the bad guys. And of course, staying ahead of the bad guys is pretty much what the DORA regulation sets out to do, at least for the financial service industry. So let me turn to Ricardo now. What does DORA require regarding intelligence sharing amongst financial institutions? So, Joe, before uh, I answer that question, I would just like to give a small update to our listeners. Because in the UK, Her Majesty Treasury, which is the department of the government responsible for developing and executing the government public finance policy and economic policy, has very recently, two or so weeks ago, so early June, launched a policy statement regarding critical third parties to the finance sector. In practice, it means that they will work with the UK regulators, the FCA, the PRA, to designate certain third parties critical. So they are going to identify those third parties as critical. And they are going to ask of these parties information regarding their resilience, their resilience testing, their compliance to specific requirements. And there's even an interesting point, which is they can even enter a critical third-party premises under warrant as part of an investigation. So in my opinion, this is the UK's response to EU DORA, as the UK previously did not address the third-party risk in their operational resilience regulatory guidelines. So back to your question now, Joe. In DORA, there's a clear provision for financial entities to be able to exchange data amongst themselves, especially cyber threat information, intelligence, including the indicators of compromise, TTTPs, which is the tactics, the techniques and procedures, as well as alerts and configuration tools. And they say that this sharing can be done as long as it is to improve the digital operational resilience or to increase the cyber awareness through threat detection techniques and mitigation strategies and so on, Joe. So they're not going to get in trouble with the competition authorities for sharing this type of information. Is that right? 
Yes, so they, there's a special provision. Obviously, they will need to make sure that to the regulators and signal that they are part of this exchanging group, and then they will be able to exchange that data. But they'll no, they will not get in trouble for that. There's a special provision. Okay. Well, thanks, Ricardo. Uh, Jonas, in practical terms, what does Fortinet do to identify these tactics, techniques, and procedures, as uh, Ricardo was saying, these indicators of compromise? So we have multiple different ways to analyze what these new attacks are doing. But one of the most efficient way which we do is we run these malware samples. So we detonate these samples in our environments, which are safe and are capable of understanding what is every single step in this malware actually achieving. Because a malware in the end is nothing else than software with malicious purposes, and it follows certain tactics, techniques, and procedures. For example, when we look at a specific file which is being executed on a system, it might have the goal to encrypt the whole system and delete some kind of data, which is very common in, for example, ransomware attacks. So what we do is we detonate these samples, these malware files across our environments, in this case, sandboxes, and then map every single technique for that specific malware into a certain framework. So we have a really good idea at every single step what the malware is doing and what kind of protection layers we need to stop these kind of attacks. You talk there, Jonas, about uh, every single step. So it sounds to me like you're saying there's really a chronology uh, of an attack sequence, uh, a series of steps that almost every, uh, every attack follows. Is that more or less the case? There are certain steps which pretty much always are the case indeed. For example, if we take an example from the real life, if my goal would be to break into my neighbor's apartment, I would probably not just run there immediately and try to break into the main door. The first thing what I would do is I would do some reconnaissance. So I would gather information about the specific environment because maybe it's much easier for me to break in in the night or in the morning when the parents bring their kids to school. Maybe the balcony is open all the time, so there's no reason for me to crack the highly secured main door. So there's a lot about gathering information first, and then at the later stage, it's about finding a certain vulnerability to get into a certain system. So in this example, it could be the, the balcony, which is open, or a certain window. And when we look at this attacks from a cyber point of view, it, we follow very similar trends. It's all about understanding first what kind of environments are we dealing with. That's why it is really important to understand the attack surface, which is getting bigger and bigger. So there are certain frameworks, like, for example, the MITRE attack framework, which consists of multiple different tactics, like, for example, gaining authorized access, or once the attacker is inside a network, it's about lateral movement, so getting more access inside the network. And then at later stages, maybe exploiting a certain vulnerability, which might be a website which is facing the internet. So different kind of tactics for threat actors to achieve their mission. And then for every single tactic, there are even more techniques to do so. Because if I would ask you how you want to get access to a certain environment, there's not just one, one solution only. That's why we really need to understand the attack surface and how we are exposed to the internet. Because... There are maybe phishing emails which are very successful in getting access to an environment. Maybe it is vulnerability in an application and you can use SQL injection or drive-by compromised on a hijacked website. 
And then last but not least, we look at every single procedure, which goes even more in detail. So this is like the step-by-step attack. For example, if I would send you a phishing email, that phishing email contains then a malicious word file, which once executed on your computer runs some malicious code, which establishes a connection to a botnet control server, which then receives instructions, captures keystrokes, credentials, and sends them back to the control server. So it's really about the behavior. And there is so much information to unpack here. And we need to be aware about every single one of these details to keep up with the newest cyber attacks and put in security layers so we can stop stop these attempts. Wow, a lot of information in there. And uh, I, I do want to point out that this is a podcast about Dora. It is not a, a podcast about how to housebreak and uh, attack your neighbor. So kids, don't try this at home. Okay? Uh, I'd also like to add that Fortinet's management and analysis tools, such as 40 Sandbox and 40 Sim, can actually organize the events that they uncover within this MITRE attack framework that Jonas was just describing. So you can easily drill down to quickly see exactly what TTPs an attacker has deployed and possible defenses. Now, before we finish, I'd like to turn back to Ricardo for one final question. So Ricardo, we've talked about exchanging threat intelligence. Are banks actually doing this uh, exchange of intelligence amongst themselves to protect themselves better and improve their decisions? Yes, Joe. So one example that I would like to talk is about the Transactive Monetary Netherlands, which is a consortium of several banks in which they exchange data in order to uncover positive money laundering. So Transactive Monetary Netherlands brings together transaction data from different banks and makes that meaningful connections between them. Because until recently, banks have been individually just looking for the the unusual transaction patterns and then reporting them to the regulators. And while these efforts are important and continue, the limitation of only one bank individually looking for money laundering and terrorist financing has been recognized as limited because criminals will often spread their transactions across multiple banks. So by employing collaboration and data sharing, TMNL has actually been a more effective approach against money laundering and terrorist financing. And that's one example on where banks decided to exchange data amongst themselves and it's the citizens and the banks are reaping the benefits out of it too. Okay. Well, thank you for clarifying that, Ricardo. And thanks to you and to Jonas Walker for this really interesting discussion. You know, I've learned an awful lot about acquiring and using threat intelligence in light of Dora's regulation. Uh, And I think it's been pretty useful for our audience too. Now, to our audience, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the other podcasts in our Fortinet Cyber Resilience and Financial Services series, I encourage you to do so. We gave an overview of Dora in the first episode and then covered risk management in episode two. They're both available where you found this one. Thank you for your attention. I hope you've learned from and enjoyed the Fortinet Cyber Resilience in Financial Services podcast series. I'm Joe Robertson with Fortinet. Fortinet.